from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. He's the biggest selling comedy recording artist in history, has won four Grammy Awards and been nominated 15 times, including his most recent win in 2015 for Mandatory Fun, the first ever comedy album to debut at number one on Billboard. Weird Al Yankovic's Mandatory Fun stops in Columbus at the Palace on July 6th. Weird Al Yankovic, welcome to Craft. It is a real pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Doug. I appreciate that. On several occasions, I have to tell you that I've heard a song begin and I thought, that's not how it goes. And then I realized, <laughs> oh, that's the original, and I know the Weird Al parody so much better. Uh, <laughs> so I think that makes my you know geek bona fides complete there. Do you often hear from people that you, they know your versions at least as well or better than the originals? I, I do. In fact, uh, I, I hear a lot of uh, stories about about kids that hear my parody and, and, and they're familiar with my parody version. And then when they hear the original version it was based on, they go, this isn't right. What's going on with this? Who's yes. this Michael Jackson guy? <laughs> you know, that's funny. It was exactly Michael Jackson that I had that thing because when I heard the beginning of Beat It, I thought, that's not right. And then I realized it's Eat It that I've heard for years and years and, and may have even had on a cassette tape. You know, I, I saw something. Uh, I saw something online which I thought was kind of interesting. Apparently, uh, uh, my my song "Eat It" went to number one in Australia, but Michael Jackson's original "Beat It" only got to number three. <laughs> That's kind of amusing. Yes, that is that is a great uh, fact to be able to carry with you. You've got over a hundred six million hits as of today on your white and nerdy YouTube video on which I, I want to compliment you for displaying impressive rapping skills. And I, even with the, the lyrics in front of me, don't think I can keep up. What do you think accounts for the amazing popularity of the video? You know, I think that video in particular came at exactly the right time. I, I certainly didn't anticipate this, but I think that when it came out 2006, I think that was sort of the tipping point uh, for nerds. I think that was the point at which people all of a sudden said, hey, wait a minute, nerds make all the cool stuff. They make all the fun toys. They rule the world. Of course, nerds are great. And uh, certainly when I was in high school, uh, being a nerd was not anything that you, you know, wanted to be. You don't want to be called a nerd. You don't want to be associated with that. But nowadays people are asserting their nerd cred. Like, oh, no, I've always been a nerd. I'm a huge nerd. And, and, and I think that about the time that, that White Nerdy came out, it was sort of like the crest of that movement. All of a sudden, people were like, yeah, nerds are great. So I just the timing seemed to work out. Yeah, I uh, was reminded of your lyric, do I like Kirk or do I like Picard? Because today right. <laughs> I, I went to a, a tech meeting where they had assigned all of us names of Star Trek characters. Um, and, and sadly, I was... A uh, a red shirt. <laughs> oh, how sad! <laughs> so it, I didn't make it to either one of the captains. I'm, um, I'm glad they didn't kill you. Right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, my character ended up in jail or prison or something and died. Okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so your career has far outlasted many of the people that you parodied, and you're one of the few performers to have a top forty hit in each of four decades. What are your thoughts on your own longevity? Um, how do you think that happened? I, I I have no idea. The whole thing is still a bit surrealistic. I, I it's, it's really uh, amazing that I still get to do exactly what I love to do for a living. That's the main thing. The fact that I'm still just around doing this. Haven't had to pick up a day job yet. Uh, but yeah, I mean it, it's and it's sort of the big irony of my career because what I do is considered by many in the industry to be novelty music, and novelty music is the domain of one-hit wonders, which is why when I first started out in the early '80s. Nobody wanted to sign me to a record deal. They thought, oh, this kid's really funny. He'll be around for three months, and then we'll never hear from him again. 
but somebody took a chance on me, and and here I am, you know, 35 years later. So it's uh, it's just a, uh, I, I'm sort of a novelty dinosaur mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. So uh, as you look at the landscape now, you've mentioned in a lot of interviews that uh, currency or being current is a really important aspect of parody for you. Do you think that parodies become more difficult for you throughout your career as we have like a, a faster news cycle, more parodies on YouTube, things like that? It becomes more of a challenge. I mean, I, I think people were more patient a decade or two ago, and I, I think definitely our pop cultural cycles are speeding up uh, to the point where, like, if you forward something that was big on YouTube two days ago, there people are like, "What? This was this is two days old. Why are you showing this to me?" You know. So it's it you know, and and uh, all the parodies on on YouTube are 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 you know basically immediate, which is, it it was becoming harder and harder for me to compete with that because when I was on an album cycle, you know, if I only put out an album every three years or so, and certainly everything on that album wasn't going to be as fresh as the morning's headlines. Uh, so it, it feels good in a way that I'm now done with my contract, and I can just release things digitally uh, whenever I feel like it. I haven't taken advantage of that so much yet, but uh, uh, that that is an option that's open to me now. I, I, can, I can be more competitive with, with the rest of the internet and put out something that's a bit more timely and topical. You know, it does sound great to have the option of being timely and topical, but doesn't it uh, also create this sort of sense of, you know, like you're in school and you don't have any uh, deadlines, you know, uh, with you have an album deadline, that's a hard deadline, right? But now you're, you're well, sitting there going, I have to do, when do I do it? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yes and no. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a self-imposed deadline. I mean, you know, uh, if, if I've got a, uh, uh, I, I, I don't, uh, I, I, back when I was putting out albums, I didn't give myself a deadline until I knew that I had a, a single locked in. Uh, and then if, when that was the case, then I was on a deadline to, to write and record and, and master it and get it all out. Um, but I mean, the deadlines always move in the record industry. They, they move all the time. So it wasn't like, uh, I didn't have a gun to my head, so to speak. So, but it's nice. But you're right. You know, I um, it's it's a more leisurely pace now because I don't feel beholden to anybody. I'm not under any pressure to put something out. Um, and I, I don't feel the the uh, anxiety that I felt in the '80s, back when I I was still trying to prove to myself that I wasn't a one-hit wonder. Like I put out an album literally every single year, you know, because I thought, well, I better grab for that brass ring while it's still there. Um, and now that I've established myself, my pace has become a lot more leisurely. Uh, but uh, I haven't given up. I'm not retiring, and I still love doing what I do. And uh, uh, at some point, I will, <laughs> in fact, be putting out more material. Okay. You know, it's funny you mentioned that the what's sometimes called the imposter syndrome, you know, you want to prove that you're not a one-hit wonder or something like that. How long did it take for you to overcome that? When did you start feeling like, hey, you know what, Uh, like you said, I can take it more leisurely. I can relax into what I feel like I've earned now. About a year ago. (laughs) No, It's hard to say. I mean, um, I I think that people in the industry really looked at me as like a novelty and a joke and a one-hit wonder up until about the mid-90s. Really, because because people just kept people in the industry were just amazed that I d- wasn't going away. Like, right. oh, he's still here. What's he still doing around? What? Why? Why is he still coming back? And then after about my eighth album, they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> he's he's part of our culture now. Right. You mentioned in an interview that I read that um, you said MTV is not, I think, relevant now, and it's all about YouTube. 
Um, what what are your feelings towards that sort of shift in the media landscape in terms of do you look back on the MTV years with a lot of fondness uh, because they brought people together or because it was, you know, an easier or a different landscape for you? How does that, that feel for you, the move away well, from Well, I, MTV? you know, the thing with MTV was, uh, for me personally, it was great because I kind of had the game to myself. I wasn't competing with a million other people doing, <laughs> doing parodies. But at the same time, um, I was still beholden to the whims of executives in, in, a, in a boardroom. They, you know, they would have the 30, Thursday morning meetings where they would watch all the videos and deem, you know, this video is not going on the air and this one's going into heavy rotation, this one's going into light rotation. And, you know, it was up to them to decide whether or not your stuff was going to be seen by other people. And now the, the playing field is completely leveled. I mean, uh, anything that I put out, that anything that I do, I know people are going to see it because it's on the internet and, you know, anybody has the, the option to see it. Uh, also, anybody can see what a million other people are doing. So I'm, I'm now competing with, uh, uh, you know, the entire Internet uh, for, for attention, which, which is more of a challenge, but also it makes me step up my game a little bit more. It means that I can't go for the low-hanging fruit and go, go for the most obvious ideas because, you know, a thousand other people have already thought of that obvious idea. I have to think a little more outside the box now. Al Yankovic, I thank you very much for talking to me today, and I'm looking forward to your stop in Columbus on July 6th at the Palace Theater. Thank you for a a career that has brought a lot of humor and merriment uh, to my life and I think many other people's. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Take care. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. Be creative.